Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex. It's that time of year again where we're looking back at the first half of the season. No, I'm not going to do the Bon Jovi lyric um, about being halfway there, so let's just press on with it anyway. Well, it wouldn't and be right because we're more than halfway there in actuality. 12 down, oh, okay, ago, yeah. so it 12 out of, Well, how do you half 21 anyway? Uh, so, yeah, thanks, Baden, for that. Um, but... It's hard to believe, yeah, we're already halfway through another season of Formula One. A lot's happened, a lot for us to look back on. Um, The year of the halo, let's start off as well. You know, it was the big thing coming into this season was the introduction of that head protection device. And let's say, you know, maybe through second practice session or third practice session in Melbourne, we really didn't care much for it or had much notice. So it goes to show you how little it's had as far as being a talking point of the season, even though it was really talked about coming into the year. But Halo aside, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, As per usual, we've broken it down into sort of key narratives for this season as well. Let's talk about the championship battle. Let's talk about the best of the rest, the politics and all the silly season stuff as well, which uh, went into overdrive really over the weekend with uh, news of Daniel Ricciardo's moving on to to Renault, leaving Red Bull. And basically, where where does every one else sit after that so yeah plenty to discuss but yeah the championship itself the fight for five as it's been called um two four-time world champions lewis hamilton sebastian vettel fighting for a fifth title it started off really there was a lot of hype around it you know and now we've 12 races later five wins to hamilton in favor of him with a 24 point lead in the championship and sebastian vettel with four wins and let's be honest a lot of work to do in the second half of the season yeah it was a really odd way that we approached um the the summer break there ferrari for all intense as though they were, they were romping away and then the catastrophe of of germany and the setback with the the weather at, at Hungary has put them right on the, the back foot and credit to Mercedes there when, when we saw, especially from the the earlier season, they've just fought their way back into this championship and, and suddenly when we get back underway in a few weeks, Ferrari's got the catching up to do, but it really, it, if last year wasn't, pretty similar situation in terms of the championship outlook, but we're set for a cracking finish as long as Ferrari can be on its game. Yeah, so, I mean, I've basically said throughout the whole year that even though, yeah, Ferrari's doing really well at the moment, it's going to be the second half of the season which is going to be more telling and that's basically where it fell away for them last year. Uh, Spa-Monza weren't that great races for them and then Singapore basically was that turning point where they had that turn one collision and it was all over from there. So, what will happen this time out? Um, Ferrari, they've got the fastest car according to everyone on track. Um, can they come out and spar Monza and uh, get those wins? They're going to need one of those two wins if they're gonna if Vettel's going to be back in the hunt and maybe hope that Hamilton runs into some bad luck as well. And talking about Lewis Hamilton, he's had a, let's say, negative demeanour for most of the season, you could say, even just starting from Melbourne where he just didn't seem positive he's the reigning world champion yet you know this he seemed a little distracted and could you say that in a way it was quietly feeding ferrari and the buzz around them that they had you know they weren't quickest in practice but they came out and won the race you know making the call on the virtual safety car get the strategy um right and they pipped mercedes in the end to that win in australia and then same i guess in bahrain as well to an extent so you know I guess you could say Hamilton's negative behaviour really feeding Ferrari, feeding the the positivity around them. Yeah, Hamilton wasn't without his chances earlier on, and it is hard to believe that they looked quite dominant both uh, Mercedes um, at Australia, and it was not if not for that safety car, virtual safety car, it would have been Hamilton's victory at a can, but that took him a long time psychologically to regenerate and you even go to uh, Baku there when he was really struggling after a, a poor start poor qualifying and again him fortuitous as a result of of the safety car and on that occasion he benefited and slowly he's um, been able to rejuvenate that campaign but his um, state of negativity has persisted throughout and it's quite a, a paradox to to where he finds himself in the standings that he's just been so 
discontent and really just looks like he's uh, he'd rather be somewhere else when he, he's being, on paper at least, competitive as ever, but there's still a lot of cracks beneath that surface. Yeah, indeed there are. And conversely with Ferrari, I guess you could say that the lack of hype in their pre-season as well, we didn't really sit there talking about them as much as we have in previous seasons, I guess quietly getting the job done. And I think that's worked for them, hasn't it? Because previously Ferrari would come out with all these expectations. They'd be quite bombastic and very bullish about their prospects, but we didn't really hear from them much. And then I guess we heard about how they've enforced this media ban as well at the races too. They're not going to talk to the media in, um, the traditional uh, uh, in the traditional ways, whereas they'll just issue their own press releases or ho- hold their own press conferences at their um, behest. So, the fact that they're doing that means you know quietly under the under the radar they've done all these things to make their car better. Uh, illegal. That's probably another question to talk about as well. A lot of people raising uh, the prospect of possibly Ferrari's cars illegal with the uh, first they had the wing mirrors band that they mounted on the halo then now this uh, battery thing which is supposedly giving them the more power than Mercedes are they is their MGUH or whatever legal and everything so I guess it's probably just hearsay and the rivals are just genuinely uh, what do you call it bewildered as to how they've done this so in any time in Formula One that happens the best thing to do would be to raise it as a legality does seem as though that's the the best way rather than the the opponents having their own financial input there and millions down the, the drain for what is really a precious few tenths of a second but credit must be given to ferrari there they really found a a bit of a a march on on an area which really it's hard to believe from where mercedes started at the commencement of the hybrid era they had all those bases covered and um, for all the talk of last season Ferrari um, choking under pressure they've been able to assert themselves this year and if not for those moments going going wrong and Sebastian Vettel perhaps being uh, a little bit too hot on on the gas in particular moments um, I'd be very comfortable so it's it's a bit of a, a weird spot that we find that season where Ferrari is currently trailing both championships but they, they do feel as though the confidence is there of very much a, a title winning outfit there yeah they do and I guess it's about um, even though they've got the faster car it's about execution and that's something that they've still they're still lacking in it seems whether it's getting those pit stops right we've seen the finger troubles and in Hungary was um, probably lost because of uh, another bad pit stop for Sebastian Vettel so it's that execution, but also just we talked about it so many times in um, during the season is making the least amount of mistakes and Mercedes isn't Mercedes is guilty of this too. So you know while Mercedes are making mistakes, Ferrari's job is to make no mistakes, but they've gone and made their own mistakes. So that's why Mercedes then on the days that they're fast and dominant, they're going to take the maximum points. So unfortunately, this is probably the way the championship is going to be decided. You'd say that Ferrari's uh, poor days are much worse than Mercedes. They always seem to optimize a result, jag a second or a third, whereas Ferrari's off days sees them either maybe fifth, sixth or retirement. And they're the points that really could be pivotal it's only talking maybe six or eight but a very fine line the way that it stands and Lewis Hamilton all that whinging that he does have he's always been right up there whereas Vettel's had quite a few of those races where he's ended up being right down the field when he's been uh, probably leading uh, more often than not this season yeah and Germany was certainly one of those days where it was um, I guess Kimi ended up on the podium which was um sell something that they could salvage out of the day but the fact that yeah he retired there mistake of his own but then it's sort of cancelled out by the fact that Mercedes had the double mechanical retirement in um, Austria which lost them all the points but then Ferrari as you say couldn't capitalize and actually go for the win in that situation it was Max Verstappen who won on the day but they were Ferrari were still on the podium so it's on those days where they've got a get the 25 points as opposed to getting the 18 or the 15 so 
coming into the second half of the season, mechanical will be a big mechanics will be a big thing as well because um, looking at the power unit allocations, only three per season. So who's going to choke and take the power unit penalties first? You'd think um, Ferrari have been very quietly optimistic about where they're at as far as reliability is concerned and so far we haven't really seen much reliability problems on their end whereas Mercedes Austria was that bitter pill for them to swallow so you know could we see a repeat of Malaysia 2016 where you know basically that one race one engine failure turns the championship on its head the way it stands, Ferrari, despite enjoying that reliability, they can't afford for it to be anytime soon. So that would be hoping that um, really see the way that the the weekend turns on a dime with some some weather intervening like it did at Hockenheim and, and Budapest that, I don't know, you, you think that Mercedes are more comfortable when it does rain. So you're hoping for really hot conditions to come to the fore on race day when the Mercedes really do seem to to struggle. So I think that they're probably due for some luck there. But as it stands, Ferrari, uh, they really need to just be bulletproof all the way through to Abu Dhabi because it just hasn't quite fallen their way in those 1% moments. Yeah, but still, three power units is going to be a stretch. So it's not a question of um, if they're going to take power unit penalties. It's going to be when. And I think maybe in the next couple of races, Spa, Monza, where it's probably not as... Um, the penalties aren't as severe, really, that we might see them do that. I mean, how good would that be if both Hamilton and Vettel took power unit penalties on the same weekend and we see them fight their way through the field to, to come back to the front? But Silverstone, I think, was probably the best race so far this season where we saw these two fighting uh, together. And I guess that little moment in the race towards the end where we had uh, two versus two, both Ferraris, both Mercedes fighting each other, and yeah, ultimately Seb came back to win that one, uh, which was great for the championship and everything. So, you know, can we see more of that in the second half of the season? Because um, as A, it's entertaining, B, you know, you want the championship to be won on who's the better driver, not because of all these other external variables. Yeah, it was a very interesting one, and the, the narrative going <laughs> around that it was... Hamilton's race to lose, particularly at Silverstone, even though he was fairly and squarely beaten off the line. That didn't seem to, to get much attention, unfortunately, particularly from a certain television pr provider. We won't go into that quite now, but um, you could say that uh, as far as, as it goes, as, as seeing Hamilton versus Vettel fighting over a, a piece of racetrack, uh, it's been intriguing. that they They probably haven't been they're together so frequently they've had their own internal scraps going on which is is gone one way or another like the the Hockenheim when Hamilton was nowhere and Vettel was was out the front even though he did look shaky and then it was too late for him to do much at Hungary so uh, they're both going about their business on a given weekend getting the points and and when it does come down to it it'll be really intriguing if push comes to shove if, if they've really got to get their elbows out there, there might be some real spite injected which uh, probably hasn't been the case since Azerbaijan last season that was the, the low point for relations between the two and and otherwise they've been largely running separate uh, fights in the, the championship this season yeah so in that second half it's going to be really telling if they get to come together on track and everything so um, we'll leave it at that as far as the championship is concerned really hard to make any predictions just yet about who will win it's just going to be about who makes the least mistakes and everything and um, yeah hopefully it goes down to the wire in Abu Dhabi for that but moving it on um, it's been a case of lonely bulls and number twos behind the two championship guys. Uh, Red Bull, of course, uh, much talk about them potentially being contenders this year, and that slowly fizzled into nothing in the first couple of races, as it always does. But then also the number two drivers as well in both Ferrari and Mercedes camps. Uh, just um, if it wasn't already instilled in everyone, um, 
it was after the Hungarian Grand Prix with Valtteri Bottas being consigned to the the wingman role. Of course, wingman hurts um, for Bottas, what he said after the race. And I guess I said this last week too, you know, while it might seem fine for Kimi Raikkonen to be in that role, Bottas has been a, like, he's still a young driver. He's won three Grand Prix. He's been very quick. He could be a potential world champion, but this year he's just been hurt by bad luck you know if you thought last year was really good you know this year's just been the complete opposite for him he the dnf and baku probably summarizes his whole season uh, as being pretty dismal he was on to win that race and then of course hitting that piece of debris coming down the straight or whatever um right near the end of the race too the checkered flag was only a few laps away um and yeah, there you go. That's the race win taken from him. And since then, we haven't really seen him in a position where he could come back and win. Yeah, he looked to uh, Paul Ricard. He probably had a good chance to be competitive there. You look to Silverstone. He was second to the dying laps and his tyres fell off. Then you look to Hungary. He was put into the, the wingman role. He was second until the final few laps. And then he had to pit again. So he probably could have won three or four races. But at this stage, after those sentiments from... Toto Wolf, he just wants to preserve his um, psyche for the rest of this season. It'd be a good confidence booster if you can ever scratch a win together and probably just reset for, for 2019 when the scores are back to, to zero. And we, we know, if nothing else, that he's got the championship calibre within him there. And, and who knows what Hamilton's mindset will be beyond this season, whether he'll finally be burnt out from being at the top for so long but it's encouraging that at least he's got that racecraft there and starting to show a little bit more aggression if nothing else cited by his uh, tactics at Budapest there he did get a little bit more aggressive which it was pleasing even though it didn't work out for him on that occasion so I think he's really validated something which even after three victories last season a lot of people thought he was nothing more than a a stable number two this year is a very very fine line and he, he would be Mercedes guy if if things had have just gone a little differently yeah exactly and um it's but in the second half well the second quarter of the season we really didn't see that you know um and I wonder if it's just got into him mentally now that he is consigned to that role and whether in the second half of the season sure like he may be able to bag a win if it meant that Mercedes would win the race as opposed to Ferrari but you know as far as beating his teammate Lewis Hamilton is concerned it doesn't look like it's going to happen now and you know Kimi Raikkonen's been in that position for the last couple of years with Ferrari and I guess we've sort of grown to accept that in a way because you know it doesn't hurt as much with Kimi as it does with Bottas is because Kimi's actually gone and he's achieved like 20 race wins he's got that world championship and he's, he's nearing the end of his career too so whilst it'd be nice to see Kimi have some success for Bottas at that age and at that point in his career you don't want him to be burnt out as a number two this early given the potential that he has yet to offer. And you do see now, we'll touch on it a bit more shortly, but Daniel Ricciardo's taken that plunge and he won't be uh, forced into that number two role ongoing at Red Bull. And for Bottas, he's got that renewal for a season with the option for the second. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on over the next 12 months, whether he sees any potential there to, to win a title with Mercedes or he's forced to, to look somewhere else if he's ever going to have that leading man status within a team which is capable of championships. Yeah, exactly. So we might come to Red Bull now as well then. And Red Bull have largely been running in their own championship, you could say. Uh, they've had three wins this season, early in the season, mind you, compared to last year. But it's been really, you could say, masked by all the errors that we had with Max Verstappen in the early part of the season and also reliability failures on both cars. It's been... It's just shocking. We laughed about McLaren and Honda last year, but Red Bull and Renault this year have been absolutely shocking. And of course, now we know that Red Bull and um, Renault will not be together for 2019. Red Bull would, will be with Honda. But as far as this season's concerned, it's just been terrible. And we saw in the last two races to Germany where Daniel Ricciardo had to do make a power unit change, ended up not finishing the race. DNF, same with Max Verstappen in in Hungary so you know what do they do for the rest of the season they basically just have to collect as many points as they can try and 
bag a win if they can as well. But yeah, they're not really racing for any better position that they're currently in, which is third in the constructor constructors championship. You'd think the next opportunity will come at Singapore, but you never know the way that uh, it all worked out for them at China and then Austria. That if they're in the right place and some misfortune strikes for Mercedes or Ferrari, that they're not far away. But the reliability does seem to have coincided with that announcement of the the Honda switch, and who knows where Ricardo will be placed internally, priority-wise, now that that announcement is there, that he'll be on his way out, and you'd think that, based on the first season with Honda, it's going to be a continuation of that in 2019, so they can't be expecting too much too soon, and they are probably got to be looking to the, the longer picture as well, 2021, in whichever shape the new regulations do uh, take effect, that that's the moment when it really seems realistic that Mercedes and Ferrari will be knocked off their perch. Yeah, by Red Bull or Renault or whoever, so really disappointing to see once again that Red Bull have sort of had that, I mean, where I said Ferrari didn't really have that weight of expectation or that hype around them coming into the season to fight for the world championship. Red Bull always do. They always build it up around themselves that, yeah, we are a, a top team and we're going to take it to the, the big boys ahead. And unfortunately, it didn't really amount to anything this season. So, yeah, whether they can add to their tally of three wins as it is um, with any more remains to be seen. The other thing you said, I agree with. Um, what's the position of Daniel Ricciardo going to be internally as well? Are they going to favour um, Max Verstappen when it comes to strategy, whether it comes to winning the race? If Verstappen's in a better position, are they going to favour him? Or does Daniel just uh, be his own man, you know, now that he's not bound to the team as far as being there next year? why He just goes rogue and... Uh, takes things into his own hands, especially if they're in a situation like they were in Baku where there was fireworks. Yeah, I don't think Ricardo really owes the team anything. He's got a race for himself at a, a certain point and, and the way things stand, I think that uh, Ricardo and Verstappen get, get along well enough, notwithstanding the moment at Azerbaijan, but they both understand that they've just got to take their opportunities and they don't come around too often you could say, especially when the Renault power unit's always getting in their, their way. So I think that really any semblance of, of doing what's best uh, when they're probably entrenched in that P3 for this season, it won't really be the, the forefront of their mind. Yeah, exactly. So that um, basically summarises their season to date and what to expect from them uh, for the rest of the year just remains to be seen. But um, coming to the best of the rest now, and of course... Um, behind those top three teams, it's always a very interesting battle, isn't it? And this year we really talked up the likes of Renault and McLaren and Haas because they're the teams with the bigger budgets that could make the bigger inroads. Two of the three have um, surprised, not surprised us, but have uh, upheld those expectations. Renault, of course, they edged ahead of Haas in the championship for fourth. Uh, they've only had a best finish this year of fifth as well with Nick Hulkenberg on a couple of occasions. But, you know, from where they were in 2016 when they first returned to the sport as a manufacturer, they've shown solid progress and it just keeps building and building. And I guess with the arrival of Daniel Ricciardo for next year as well, it just goes to show you how positive the team is and how much they're building toward uh, what they're building towards and you said before we came on air 2020 could be a year where uh, Ricardo and Renault can challenge for the championship potentially that is and you see a lot of the, the best drivers they bring out the best in a package even if they're not quite on scratch with the class of the field like we did see um, obviously Hamilton coincided with the new regs a year later Michael Schumacher more prevalently though that was about five years before he enjoyed the best car on the grid, but within that first 12 to 18 months, he was putting the Ferrari in contention for, for titles, and Renault has quickly risen up um, the ranks since the start of 2017. So with a really stable lineup there with himself and Nico Hülkenberg, who knows beyond 2019 where the, the German will remain there, but as it stands, they're going to have a really... Uh, a youthful lineup, if nothing else. They're really both in entering the prime of their careers, and I think that next season the target will be podiums, if not for 
for Ricardo, then Hulkenberg would like to finally jag one. But I can sense that Ricardo, um, he'll get a victory next season. He just makes it happen. Yeah, so that just shows you the progress of Renault that within three years, I guess three years was the the plan that they laid out um, in 2016. So... Um, you know they'll be in the race winning position next year but Haas you know they've their gains over the off season you know it was it's uh, astonishing and the fact that I guess a lot of their um, results this year have been masked by the fact that they've had inconsistency and um, we go back to Australia where they were in that position where they could have had fourth and fifth in the first race scored all those points but the double dnf with the double pit stop failure basically and then the other thorn in their side has been um their incumbent stalwart driver roman grosjean who has only had two points finishes i think this season or one point scoring finish sorry and no he got the second he in got germany, the second i'm pretty yeah. sure didn't he, he yeah he would have oh yeah, yeah he got the fourth in germany too so the fact that you know they're in a position now where they have a car that can score points at every race, but they've been hurt by, you know, a driver who we've all regarded in the past as being as a really quick driver and someone who once upon a time was going to end up in a top team. Unfortunately, it's not come for them, and it's been Kevin Magnussen who's been getting those results. And a lot of the talk now with the instability of Force India, that that seat, even if it wasn't already, uh, very much up for grabs, and you'd think that... It's going to take a lot of consistency from Grosjean there to shore up not just uh, a last-minute reprieve at Haas, but uh, an alternative spot on the grid, as shame as it is to say, when you had that talk maybe a couple of years ago about being next in line for a Ferrari berth. It's just petered away, and he's returned to that status he found himself in 2012 when he earned that nutcase reputation yeah well basically who hasn't um been in line for a ferrari role on the grid at the moment but yeah no i I agree where he has basically turned into that nutcase again it seems not on the first lap though however as mark webber said it but um run for the hills it's just basically been a disappointment a disappointment for Grosjean and for a team that could possibly be closer to Renault in the championship. And Renault haven't been perfect by any stretch as well. Carlos Sainz, you say, has probably been a bit underwhelming this season, a bit half-baked, um, just doesn't seem to... I mean, Nico Hülkenberg's a great driver and we would have thought that they'd be a lot closer to each other on the racetrack, which hasn't been the case. And Hungary was definitely an example of that, where in the wet he qualified fifth for Renault, but then dropped back um, on the first lap and then I guess McLaren beat them as far as strategy is concerned so he ended up ninth in the race so yeah it'd be it'd take a big second half of the season for science to really impress but we'll talk about science anyway with our silly season because he's basically the next big player in the silly season for next year yeah it'd be a shame for science's career to to really fall off after just that solitary season as it's now come to light with Renault, so he's got a few options there. You wouldn't think he's going to fall off the grid, but whether he's going to be in a lesser car for 2019, it just shows you the way things work out from from what he had at Toro Rosso. This was seen as maybe a halfway house to getting his, himself extricated from the, the Red Bull empire, the, the claws that they, the tentacles that they wrap around you until you've done your years of service so I think that he's had his moments you could say but very anonymous and he's been consistent in qualifying but on Sundays he can't quite convert where Hulkenberg can and it's just that amusement that the German uh, there still hasn't got that podium so I think the true test for Hulkenberg will be alongside Daniel Ricciardo and we can finally make that true assessment on where he does stack up yeah exactly so force india we touched on it just before they're still getting the biggest bang for their buck as far as um scoring results are concerned and yeah they've certainly fell behind considering those guys like renault haas made the progress over the off season but they're the only team in the midfield that's got a podium so far this season and that came again in baku courtesy of sergio perez who just keeps racking them up for force india but i guess that's all been overshadowed this year by the fact that they've had that financial trouble and basically 
yeah, hit boiling point in Hungary because the team went into administration and since then we've learnt that um, they're exiting administration before the next race, of course, with uh, Lawrence Stroll coming in to buy out the team with a consortium of um, uh, people there too. So it's positive for Force India going into the future, but, you know, it's a situation that they shouldn't have, should have never been in in the first place. Just to paraphrase what Sergio Perez wrote on Twitter the other day. It's quite inconceivable when you consider how consistent they have been really um, on an upward trend since about 2013 and then stable in that P4, if not in the standings. And in most races, they were the, the next best after the big three. And even this season, for for what has been uh, very much under duress, they've, they've punched above their weight and that podium at Azerbaijan, you can see it's not like they've, they've completely fallen off the the rails so at least now um, everyone is secure it's not like there's going to be people being dismissed without pay and and hopefully they retain the same crew probably having a overdose on maple syrup if nothing else now that the canadian flavors in there and and obviously you're going to see a pretty big influence with senior stroll there and his son lance almost inevitably coming on board from next season but it will be a good chance for him to to gauge where exactly he stands since he's been lumped with uh, a pretty shambolic Williams this season. So that might be a blessing for him, if nothing else, just to, to see what he's made of and, and however it affects either Perez or Ocon. They've got to look for their own alternatives, at least this iteration, whatever it's named next year, the the identity and the spirit which started with Jordan in 1991 lives on. Yeah, Force Canada, maybe, as some people have said. But, um, yeah, they've been a solid... It's been a solid package, capable of scoring points and not having as much development as the other guys have, as we've said. So, you know, they're doing a great job, but now having that injection into them of cash... Um, and stability for the future you know this could be a team does it move up the grid or does it stay in the midfield Um, but as far as this season's concerned yeah they've done another great job and um, it'd be great to see them score more points and more results and they've got two great drivers in Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez so could Ocon possibly be yet to to score a podium this season we'll just have to wait and see it's possible yeah I don't think the the development side, um, if they wanted to push, they could, but they'd probably be wise to turn it towards 2019 at this stage. And, and as it stands, they always seem to capitalise when when things turn a bit shambolic. So they'll still pick up a good wad of points and who knows if they can still contend for that P4. But bottom line is that it's all going to be irrelevant um, heading into the future. It's just a good sign that they can they can really look a bit longer term than probably the last five years, the way it's been with VJ Melia and Sabratra Roy there, that you don't know from season to season which crisis they're going to lurch to. Yeah, so without the crisis hanging over their head now, like, what do we expect to see from Force India? Are they going to be... They're probably going to be better than they are currently, so that's going to be really positive to see. And for an independent as well in Formula 1, like, I know everyone disses Haas because they're not really truly independent because of the Ferrari type and Force India you know they've uh, been on their own for most of it they've had some assistance from Mercedes but you know they've largely done it all on their own which is I guess what you really want to see yeah it's as much as you can ask for them in the the way that F1's currently (laughs) structured there's not really any other alternative unless things drastically change from 2021 and whether it means these other teams are going to get on board and all that talk whether Williams will more closely align itself with Mercedes as Sauber and Haas have done really coming in-house with with Ferrari there. There's a lot to play out, but for Force India, in, in any respect, at least they can focus on themselves and the bigger picture there. That That's something I'm sure the next six months we'll know a lot more and the silly season it's easy to get carried away but it's just a good story when you see so many other teams there they they enter that state of insolvency and um, for whatever selfish reason the owner won't look at any acceptable offer they are in it for their own benefit and you see the livelihoods of so many compromise so this is this is a rare occasion where um good prevails basically yeah it's nice to see good prevailing for once in the twisted world of formula one but um moving it on mclaren underwhelming probably 
a, the best term to use in this situation to sum up their season. Um, the issues really arising on the car, you could say, and hurting Fernando Alonso, Stoffel Van Dorn. Um, the thought was that, yeah, with a Renault power unit this season, yeah, it was going to be a transition year, but it wasn't going to be as bad as it has been with just really deficiencies on the chassis side being exposed, you could say, um, as a result. And we've been led to believe over the last few years that even though they had the sluggish Honda in there, that they were carrying one of the best chassis on the grid. But, you know, now with a better power unit, it really hasn't come to eventuate for them. And there's, I guess, most of the chatter this season about McLaren has been all the off-track dramas with the uh, exodus of staff that we've had. Eric Bullier, the team boss, is gone. Uh, Matt Morris, long-time designer, gone. Tim Goss, technical director, gone, just to name a few. They've recruited a few new people in the likes of Gilles de Ferran and, of course, in the process of trying to get James Key out of Toro Rosso. Bit hasty but, on the gun there. That's one which is very much in, in progress. Yeah, well, it is in, in progress, as I said. Um... But yeah, you know, it's just been one of those, another terrible season, you could say. And Fernando Alonso, does he stay or does he go? That's the big question. And Stoffel van Dorn really just underwhelming once again this season. So, you know, what's what's gonna, what's gonna the scene going to be like at McLaren for next year? And what can they salvage from this season? A lot of introspection for McLaren. And looking at it retrospectively, it does make you wonder whether... McLaren was being flattered by Honda or Honda was being really shafted by McLaren maybe having a package there which just couldn't accommodate the the Honda architecture and you've seen Honda really on a given weekend they've really been quite uh, pacey and they've they've sorted a lot of that reliability out so for McLaren it's been a huge wake-up call and you do have to feel for Stoffel van Dorn if not Alonso who who again has blundered and he thought this was going to be finally the the out with Renault to to fight as he did say after Australia but that hasn't eventuated but for for van Dorn he's clearly got no confidence there and you can't blame him at all to come in under this circumstance uh, it's going to be a continuation as it as it looks at the moment of uh Sergio Perez and Kevin Magnussen, who at least in their cases uh, were offered a reprieve and they've been able to really rehabilitate their careers. So you can only hope Van Dorn, if he is shown the door, that, that he gets another option because it'd be a terrible shame from from that rap that everyone was giving him ahead of 2017 that he was going to be the, the next great thing. Yeah, the next Alan Prost, I guess, was what was said at the time. And Fernando Alonso, um, I, I guess... There's no doubting the guy's ability because he'll still score points for you on any given weekend. He can qualify outside the top 10 and then just hustle his way to a result, which is good. But then just, it just, you have to ask the question all the time. Like if they were in a more competitive car or if McLaren had a more competitive car, what result could Alonso bag? Because I know that when he was with Ferrari, like they'd probably have a car that was not as good as the Red Bull or the Mercedes, but just the Alonso factor can still score a podium out of it. So you just got to wonder if McLaren had a car that was easily on the same pace as the Renault, for example, could he, his ability on its own, be able to jag podiums for him? Oh, absolutely. You can see that he sniffs an opportunity and he enters that um, really aggressive mode, which which probably is just hibernating 90% of the time these days amongst that disillusionment. So... You would hope that next year, if he does commit, uh, if nothing else presents itself stateside, that deadline they mentioned a few weeks ago seems to be approaching, and it has gone a bit quiet, it must be said. So whatever does happen, you hope that he can at least end his career with something to show, some sort of fluke podium, just so we don't remember his career on five years of a whimper. Yeah, basically... um as it has been, it's hard to believe it's been almost that long since he left Ferrari, of course. But, um, yeah, moving it on, and we talked about Honda just before, but uh, about on their given weekend, they've shown the signs of that of improvement. And, yeah, basically all year with Toro Rosso, they've shown gains from last year. They've had uh, very little in the way of reliability problems, but I guess when they've had, it's been Brendan Hartley who's suffered them uh Majority, and then I guess fourth and sixth for Pierre Gasly um, there in um, Bahrain, and then last time out in Hungary, 
solid results. But yeah, it's just been a really a tough season, you could say, for Brendan Hartley, who, you know, through no fault of his own, is already on the outer, you could say, for next year, but could yet be saved. But it's just it just goes to show you how brutal that Red Bull driver regime is. Yeah, it's really been a bit of a, a an awkward one for Toro Rossi. You could almost say a bit of a an identity crisis since um, Danny Kafiat. You see circumstance the way that he was repatriated from Red Bull for for 2016 and 2017, just a shattered soul, and uh, clearly that ended his career. Just the way that he was he was treated, there was no real thought given to um, the way that he was very promising up until. He was gone. Basically, there was very little in it apart from that one or or two little um, race block there with the incidents he had with Vettel at China and Russia in 2016. And that was effectively the end of his his career in the competitive sense. And then they had to scramble to Arosso to to get Gasly in and Hartley in. And then no one else was really viable uh, alternative for for this season. And, And now you've seen with Ricardo probably shocking a few and making that move it would seem that um Hartley might yet get a stay of execution for 2019 and who knows what his potential is but you do hope that he gets a clear run at it because he does seem as though he's finally starting to show a bit more consistency he looked a bit lost in those earlier races but but now I think he's starting to feel like he he belongs there and the question really will be on Pierre Gasly whether Red Bull is reticent to to learn or to um or they don't learn from the Kvyat experience when they were their hand was forced essentially when we saw Vettel in 2014 move to Ferrari a year early and Kvyat was put straight in the the firing line, whether they feel that um, Pierre Gasly, after what will it be, 25 races, is prepared, but that the signs are there that it looks as though he's got it there, and you just wonder, if nothing else, the age is of Verstappen and Gasly. They're both going to be 21, 22, whether they feel that's just too young at this point to have two guys really going at it for the title. Yeah, and the maturity factor from Verstappen is still... Um questionable as well so yeah it's been a tough old one for Toro Rosso but at the same time they've shown progress on the Honda side and certainly something for Red Bull to look forward to now that they're going to be paired with Honda for next season Sauber on the other hand they've had a bit of a renaissance this year it's been a revival of their form Uh, Charles Leclerc has come in with a lot of hype around him and he certainly lived up to that hype like you know unfortunately a lot of those um, Formula 2 graduates don't really they come in with that hype we named Stoffel Van Dorn Jolyon Palmer was another one who got spat back out um, after not even a year and a half in the sport so yeah um, Charles Leclerc has come in 7 out of 12 points scoring races for him which has been great he's really shown um, his teammate Marcus Ericsson who's bossing that team and yeah really on that radar for who knows whether it will be next year but definitely from 2020 or 2021 it will be a Ferrari driver and I think uh, in many senses as, as great as it would be to and it still could happen end up at Ferrari in in 2019 it won't hurt him to have another year and sure he'll be uh, really itching to to get in there but he'll have a steep learning curve and whether it's at Haas or he remains at Sauber the future is very bright for him yeah exactly and um, rounding it out I guess with Williams they've just had a diabolical season as we touched and only an eighth place finish in Baku which was the only point scoring finish they've had this season but combination of financial worries car troubles as well just undrivable as they say uh, poor Sergei Sorotkin to be making his debut this year really doesn't have much to work with you could say so you know where does where does it go right for William you know where do Williams go in the second half of the season is it just going to be more of the same you know Lance Stroll probably off to Force India now so what's the future look like for them and looking back how do you rate the first half of the season I'd say that uh, overall they've, they've punched above their weight, you could say, um, or Sauber has, but for Williams they've uh, probably just finally got their act together the last couple of races, they've just shown maybe a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and, and you'd hope that uh, maybe if they increase the um, collaboration with Mercedes there, there's a bit of a chance to turn things around, they've got to find a way to cover the losses though with 
Martini departing and now Stroll will be taking his backing surely um, completely away from Williams and towards Force India. So uh, they're probably freed in, in that sense of whatever tie-ups they see fit within the Stroll camp and maybe it gives them a bit more autonomy again and, and who knows about those race drivers whether Kubica finally gets a crack or whether a George Russell is installed by Mercedes or dare we say Esteban Ocon there since that Renault option's now so um dried up after Ricardo jumped in so there's, there's plenty of options out there and you just hope that they along with McLaren just find their way back and it's going to be a slow process but you just hope this isn't uh, the beginning of the end yeah exactly and talking about those options let's go straight into silly season mode now and um pointing out that only mercedes and renault at this point of the year have confirmed their lineups for 2019 so hamilton and bottas of course staying we learned that in germany and then of course uh, ricardo's signing by renault confirmed that he and hulkenberg will be at the team next year so Let's start with Ferrari, and um, they could yet retain Kimi Raikkonen for another year, but as we said, there's the potential that uh, Leclerc steps up to the team. What would you rather see, like, given the where they're at at the moment? You just said before that it wouldn't be a bad thing if Leclerc had another season at Sauber, just because they're a team on the up as well at the moment. So, um, yeah, does Kimi get another season at Ferrari? If not, you know, where does he go? Because he could go back to Sauber potentially, as it's been talked about, or end up in retirement, which seems more likely. And then if there's a seat available at Sauber, does Stoffel Van Dorn, if he loses his drive at McLaren, go to go to Sauber because he's an ally of the team principal, Frederick Masseur? Oh, he's food for thought. There's Van Dorn, there's Kubitz has been linked, there's been Perez linked at certain points. So um, Yeah, Checo perhaps goes back to his old team at Sauber as well. A lot of them make sense based on who they know and, and how it just lines up as far as it representing like a good chance to, to perhaps um, go somewhere quieter. But you can see Sauber's become a lot more attractive over the past six months and it's a, just a good sign. They're more of a destination outfit than they, they were for, for many years thereafter the highs of... 2012 and and whether it's led again by Charles Leclerc or he does that slight switch up to to Haas or he does go straight to Ferrari at least um, they're looking a lot more assured of of their future and and if it ends up being say um, Stoffel van Dorn at Sauber it might be a good place for him just to nurture himself away from really the toxic environment that has been McLaren. Yeah, and link up with his old pal and Frederick Vasseur, who took him to that F2 title a couple of years ago. Um, Red Bull, as we touched on before, uh, you know, are they going to have Carlos Sainz back? Uh, I touch on in an article I'm writing at the moment that it's probably not going to happen given the acrimony between Helmut Marko and the Sainz family, where Sainz last year says, you know, said that, you know, Red Bull had better promote him sooner or later or he's going to go elsewhere. Helmet basically laughed at that and Science recently said that his next contract, he desires it for be, to be at least two years, which you can understand. And, you know, I guess this is a driver who's spent a lot of his early, well, he's still pretty young, but the first part of his career basically in the shadow of Max Verstappen. And now he really has the opportunity to break away from that and break away from Red Bull and show something. And as we said before, it's probably been a bit underwhelming this season from him at Renault at that halfway house, you said. But if he shores up his position for next year and McLaren, seems like that uh, option for him whether it's next to Fernando Alonso or not um you know is that where he defines his career where he leads perhaps McLaren back in 2021 he's only going to be 26 by that time so he's still pretty young um it's all about stepping out of the Red Bull shadow it seems for Carlos Sainz and I think anyone's got to be keen to as much as Red Bull's competitive to really see that Verstappen's the anointed one they'll have to be a little bit desperate and signs might be willing to hedge his bets on McLaren getting its act together 2019-2020 and who knows whether he could be its leader if if Alonso or Van Dorn or both end up departing then it might be his real opportunity to become a, a team leader um, with someone who who's got such an iconic background without being really a prisoner to the regime yeah exactly and you touched on it before as well about Pierre Gasly is it too early for him to be promoted to Toro Rosso and that 
Danny Kvyat lesson that we learned with him being spat back out after not even a year, like after a year basically of being at the team and he didn't do such a bad job because he finished ahead of Daniel Ricciardo in the championship, let's not forget, in 2015. So is it too early to promote Gasly, of course, and you pointed out too that it's going to be a pretty young driver line up there, 22, 23, or, you know, for both of them. So... Uh, yeah, it's just going to be dependent on that. But if I were Carlos Sainz, I wouldn't go back to Red Bull, purely the fact that he's just going to be marginalised. And we know that Sainz is a better driver than that. Yeah, I think it does make you wonder more for Red Bull. It's a bit of a, a quandary. They've made their own bed the way they treat their their academy <sighs> talent there. They don't even get the chance to spread their wings and they're gone, even if it's part of... Uh, the picture of oh, seeing someone else is coming through, so you're gone, and and we won't even do anything to give you an alternative look in. So I think that they might have to look outside the square for the first time, and that that's quite a big thing for for Red Bull. Well, when you look at the history, maybe Mark Webber's uh, and David Coulthard are the last cases where they looked externally, and uh, clearly they both did their job at the respective points Red Bull w- were at. But it might be a transitional season or two until they get someone coming back through the system when we dare say Gasly by 2020 or 2021 at the latest will be more than ready to um, take on that responsibility well that's the thing and like this is where that talk maybe does Fernando Alonso finally get a chance at Red Bull come into play and I guess of course Red Bull being with Honda next year I think Honda will say a firm no to that because they don't want to have anything to do with Fernando Alonso ever again and that's probably one of the reasons someone said to me that um, the IndyCar thing hasn't happened yet with Andretti is because Andretti's with Honda and Honda as a brand just don't want Fernando Alonso anywhere near them again. I think that might be one of the few reasons why Alonso's probably making a few more noises about staying in F1 because that um, goes nicely alongside his uh, WEC commitments and, and who knows beyond that, but it might be his only choice if there's absolutely no way of linking up with Honda even as as a one-off drive for Indy itself. Yeah, exactly. So um, Alonso, probably another key player in all this. Um, does he stay at McLaren? Does he go? As you said, it's sort of dependent on Lando Norris now as well. The fact that um, with uh, Toro Rosso and McLaren sort of joint at the hip in the whole James Key thing. So do uh, McLaren loan out Lando Norris um, to Toro Rosso as a sort of bargaining chip to bring James Key over? And does that mean Brendan Hartley will be safe there next year? Because if Gasly goes to Red Bull, um, Toro Rosso don't have anyone else to bring in. So they get Norris in, a rookie. At least with Hartley, they've got the experience on hand still. So that's one potential scenario. And then that way depending on what Alonso does, if he stays or does he go, Science could come in and then Van Dorn could be safe also at McLaren. Yeah, I think for, for Van Dorn, regardless of where it's at, he deserves another season on, on the grid and case could be made that McLaren owes it to him when they've got the, their act together. But at the same time, he might benefit from breaking free from it as, as I guess Lewis Hamilton learned, even though maybe not everyone agrees with his... His antics, you can just see that they can be their own people when when they break free from the the shackles and you just hope he's not lost to the sport. Well, I get the feeling that either one of the two McLaren drivers won't be on the grid next year. So if um, Van Dorn, if Alonso goes... If science comes in, either Alonso goes or Van Dorn goes. Van Dorn may or may not, because let's not forget too that Sauber still have that significant stake from the Swedish guys on hand. So that'll be Marcus Ericsson's bargaining chip. And unfortunately, um, with the sad news of Sergio Marchione's death, perhaps that gives the Swedish consortium behind Sauber a lot more control of the team. Whereas well, it does Marchione... already sound like with Marchione passing that that um. Alpha Alliance is being loosened a bit. It seemed as though Marchioni was really wanting to ramp it up and, and now the um, successes there maybe want to unwind Yeah, that so then that'll probably mean Ericsson ends up staying there and it depends on whether Leclerc moves on or not. So, yeah, Sauber could already be uh, signed, sealed and delivered and Van Dorn could end up with no seat on the grid next year if Alonso stays at McLaren. That's how F1 works. It's pretty ruthless and no, no real room for sentiment and it just shows you that being in the wrong spot at the wrong time uh, we see all the drivers over the years who, who go on to be 
the greats, um, they've really got to look at things from the true big picture and it's a game of almost 4D chess there that it might make sense at the time but but looking two or three years down the track it it works itself out for those who go on to win their championships yeah exactly so force india we touched on it saved by stroll senior does this guarantee junior a drive you could say um chances are yes but who makes way then so i played it out in my head that checo could end up at haas now um grosjean don't think he's going to stay there next year and I guess for Sergio Perez whose decision basically rests with his investors as well Haas looks like a good option to then have that Ferrari tie up again as well perhaps the more favorable Mexican to have there in um, in Haas because they had they were there a couple of years ago with Gutierrez which amounted to nothing so Checo and um Magnussen would be a tasty little conversation. Quite a fire. Yeah, quite a fiery little combination, given they are two pretty, not hot-headed drivers, but they do get a bit uh, bit raucous on the track. Yeah, there's no quarter given, and you can see the way that Haas is building. Again, they have their moments again. They, they play it out slightly differently, but, but Magnussen's got that potential with another big year. Who knows if he comes onto that radar from say 2020 and beyond if an opening were to arise you might yet have a have a look in for dare we say a ferrari or, or a mercedes he's really bolstered his stock this season as grosjean's um really plundered his own yeah exactly and williams does uh with stroll gone or yet to be gone or whatever um does george russell make his debut there so with mercedes with the mercedes tie up if they become closely partnered with mercedes benz does do they place their junior driver george russell there after his season in f2 this year robert kubitzer potentially does he make the debut uh or not debut sorry does he make his return to formula one with um williams finally as well because with uh sorotkin there on his own they are in need of an experienced driver to steer the ship you could say effectively a lot of talk as well that stroll benefits greatly from cubits so we could yet even see cubits take that seat alongside stroll at force india and then we might even see as i've been thinking quietly ocon to williams even though it doesn't seem competitive now with that tie up with mercedes and Ocon being being on its books there and very much being the driver in waiting 2020 2021 you'd you'd think that he's going to surface at Mercedes itself it could be where he does surface in the the short term and as long as he does get a spot on the grid but you think that uh, Ocon Russell Kubica they're all viable candidates and you'd say at this stage it looks as though Sergei Sorotkin there, he'll probably have the other seat, but you never know, maybe Williams will find a way to to break free of the need for financial output if Mercedes is willing to invest in it a bit more. Yeah, exactly. So with Martini going and the Stroll investment out, Mercedes, sorry, Mercedes putting the injection into Williams will be quite crucial, I guess, to their survival. So yeah, a a lot to still play out. And I guess I hope you made some sense of our little predictions for next year as well and it'll be interesting to see who um, ends up wearing everything so let's move it on to our final part of the podcast and it's really pressing on I guess it's a lot to there's been a lot to talk about um, and let's do a bit of politicking and um, this year I guess well every year the politics don't stop in Formula One and I guess this year the big talking point has been about the 2021 regulations and how they've got to finalize them which it's yet to be done despite the fact the deadline was probably months ago um we had them outlined in bahrain the framework for having simplified power units of course without the nguh and of course standardized components and everything but it seems like there was going to be a u-turn as well u-turn sorry somewhere in that as well so you know when are we going to see it chase carey's come out and said over the next few months they're going to finalize it but you know is it something that should have been done earlier rather than later? Yeah, again with with F one, never trust a deadline. It's it's always just something that's that's there as a custom, and and you can see that it just shows nobody can agree on and anything. And it's really quite fascinating when you consider how good the racing's been since 
2017 that they they can't really see um, the bigger picture and as much as they all might want to status quo and say this is great it has to be equitable for all the participants four or five years down the track but that doesn't really seem to be a, a priority for for those manufacturers calling the shots and that talk a few weeks ago that they'd reneged on on the talk of making those changes it seems as as though the, the more time goes on the less things will change and 2019 might be the the extent of those changes when when they are in actual fact quite minor on the uh, technical side yeah well 2019 we learned that they're going to be simplifying the front wings as well to help overtaking and everything because the start of this year there was a lot of out there was a lot of outcry over the lack of overtaking scene and then over the next over the few races coming after Australia Bahrain we were treated to some great to a few great spectacles so and going back to the whole regulation change thing so we saw some informal alliance between Mercedes and Ferrari um to try and push for a retention of the current regulations which doesn't really help uh, any new manufacturers cause if they want to enter formula one from 2021 it only pleases i guess the current crop and because mercedes and ferrari are on top at the moment it pleases what pleases them will be enough to please everyone according to them you know, their hope is just that they can hold everyone to ransom and say you'll all have to jump into bed with us and form form some leagues there have the three or four whatever manufacturers if honda ends up buying Red Bull outright in a few years that'd be no surprise but you'd see them being I guess essentially satellite teams maybe two or three to each manufacturer there and that would suit the the big ones and Mercedes and Ferrari and, and to a lesser extent and Renault very nicely indeed. Yeah, exactly. So what happens, we don't know. There was, There's yet a lot to be played out this year and hopefully we can get those regulations glued in sooner rather than later as well. Um, more races, less races, the big debate as well. That's been talked about a lot this year. Liberty Media certainly want to have more races on the calendar. We're talking about going to Vietnam, Hanoi, the um, Argentina, Argentina, South Africa, even a return to Kialami, and then of course either Amsterdam or Zandvoort. Uh, yes, yeah, Zandvoort, and I think the Danish Grand yeah, Prix as Copenhagen well. Copenhagen. Or... Yeah. So where where does that all fit in given the current races? And what we do know is that the Miami Grand Prix that was proposed was uh, well is going to be delayed to 2020 at least, and a lot of people said that there's they brought a lot of negative press around this saying oh it's the liberty have failed basically they should be removed as the leaders of formula one etc etc but i think it's a good thing because it seems like miami's going to be their little jewel in the not that monaco won't be but miami might be their little jewel in the crown event that they have on their own home turf in america north america and they make it the best race potentially on the grid so they're just well it can be a template moving forward if nothing else for them as far as stamping um its own mark on on the sport and really it ties in with 2021 becomes that um i guess threshold moment when when it comes under the the new concord and the new regulations when liberty can truly say that f1 is its own sport rather than having to to work with the parameters that they probably came in under and there's only so much they can do for the time being yeah so totally getting rid of that whole um the bernie eccleston era basically and i guess with the whole force india exercise as well we were sort of given reminders about um uh, how things were under the bernie regime basically tied to the current concord there was teams looking at blocking the buyout of force india under administration which meant a team would have gone under but it would have satisfied everyone else yeah, you can you can see that again. There's there's not much room for the the minnows or whoever you want to count it as when it comes to looking at um, how it might be for the betterment of the the sport. It often gets lost amongst it all, and the the big guys clearly that they find a way to come out on on top. So you can hope Liberty's able to encourage in in terms of. Uh, teams and tracks the spectacle the they need to give a little for the long-term picture and clearly everyone will enjoy the show in whichever shape it comes 2021 being that moment when you can say it's truly under liberty's watch yeah and liberty certainly have that long-term approach which is good to see and they're not all about making as much money as possible in the short term but um 
just to conclude on, I don't want to see F1 become a street racing championship um, like some people have suggested with all these street races coming in. You know, we still need that combination of those traditional tracks, you know, the old school Monzas and Silverstones and whatnot. And of course, if we can get some new circuits on board or even return to a few old favourites like the Kialamis or um, if they're going to use an old track in Argentina or whatever. So yeah, that'd be great to see. But um, to wrap things up, I guess, um, any final thoughts on what we've seen so far this season? There's been a lot to digest, a lot to talk about. It's just, you know, it goes on and on. And, you know, at the centre of it, we've got a exciting championship on the cards as well. Yeah, it's just been nice to pause and catch our collective breaths for the last uh, couple of weeks, a couple to go. And I think that... By the time we probably get to um, next weekend, we'll be itching to get back into the action. But I think everyone has needed it because it's been frenetic. And that world record of what it was at eight races in 10 weekends was unprecedented. So I think uh, it was feeling a bit like a, a marathon. So it was good good to just have this little um, period here where, where everyone can look at where it's at. And for Mercedes and Ferrari, hopefully it just means that they'll redouble the efforts we've already seen and you just hope that this time it goes to Abu Dhabi rather than petering away rather spectacularly within the first two or three races once we return. Yeah, exactly, because from a selfish perspective, staying up till 11 at night for all <laughs> these really races... Not really selfish when we do it week after week to ask <laughs> oh, well, like a few more. The whole of Australia basically will echo these sentiments and then come uh, the end of the year when we get into those North American races or whatever, it's just going to be more difficult doing the all-nighter thing um, and whatnot. So, yeah, we'll see how things go. We'll see how the championship plays out when we return to Spa in a couple of weeks' time. But um, from myself, Jawad, and from Baden, um, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to having a little bit of a break before we'll be back to preview the Belgian Grand Prix. So, thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time. Till then.